When the drow pirates quite the challenge. When the cold light waters invade the ten towns. When there are some who would call her... Tasha. That is when heroes rise. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Welcome, brave adventurers, to Heroes Rise. I'm Ryu, and joining us on our quest this evening are two of the wisest adventurers in the land. I'm Lennon. And I'm Tony. And this is the 133rd entry into our chronicle, recorded on Saturday, September 5th, and released Wednesday, September 9th, over at HeroesRisePodcast.com. Yes, unfortunately, Ostron can't be with us this week as he's off testing out the new wilderness exploration rules with several of his buddies and a tent. So this week we're joined by Tony. Uh, some of you may find him a familiar voice, but for those that have never heard him before, Tony is the host of our sister productions, Guard Frequency and Priority One, and also mine and Ryu's GM in the actual play, Elite Dangerous RPG, that we are both a part of over on Guard Frequency, entitled Guard Frequency Origins. Tony! Thank you so much for filling in this evening. Well, thanks for inviting me. No worries. And what have we got in store for our brave adventurers this week? Well, in this week's Adventurers Pack, Lennon starts tinkering with some NPCs. Next, we check out some D&D news as we uncover the newest edition of Dragon Plus, a brand new DM screen from Wizards of the Coast, the latest online convention, D&D Celebration 2020, and a sneaky first look at Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden. And after that, we take a short rest, head into the archives of Candlekeep to hear all about the person that some call Tasha, before finally heading over to the scrying pool to see what you have to say. And that takes care of all the introductions, so let's take a look at what's in our adventurer's packs. Do you always carry this machine bag? If we're going to get out of here, we're not going to need a few things. Name one thing you're going to need this stupid roll for. So this week's Adventures Pack is probably going to be a little bit quicker than the ones that we've had recently because this is quite a simple tool. One thing that I love about D&D is creating NPCs. I know, you thought I was going to say maps. And you're right, I do love creating maps. But NPCs is my second favourite thing. Okay, like my fifth favourite thing. I like dice too. But anyway, you get the point. I like NPCs. One thing that I've always disliked, though, is when you look at stats in various publications like Volo's Guide and the Monster Manual, all the NPCs in there are a little bit, you know, subpar in a lot of occasions. Sometimes you want to create a character that is the equivalent of one of the heroes to accompany them on their adventure, and then you've got to drag out character sheets and actually build them from scratch, or you could use something like fastcharacter.com, but sometimes what you really want is just an NPC stat block that kind of looks like a monster block so that it's a lot easier to use and facilitate at the table. So, in looking around for such a tool, I came across a website called rpgtinker.com, and this basically answered everything that I wanted it to do. It is a D&D 5th edition NPC generator, and it generates an NPC in the style of a monster stat block, so it'll give you the armor class, hit points, speed and proficiency in one block, followed by all the stats, then skills and saving throws, actions, spells, etc. And it really is quite simple to use. So to begin with, you need to choose a template for the type of NPC that you want to generate, and this is split into strength NPCs, dexterity NPCs, casters, support, and then finally, non-combatant NPCs. And underneath that, you have several options. So if you wanted to go for a strength combatant NPC, you get options like holy champion or soldier, whereas the dexterity combatant NPCs, you have pirate or spy or scoundrel. 
Down towards the bottom of the list, the non-combatants are things like beggars, farmers, innkeepers, and so on. So you choose a class or a template that you want to apply to the NPC that you're creating. So for this example, I'm just going to create a scholar. The next thing that you do is you pick a race, and the races that they have here also include all the races from Volos and Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, so any race that is a playable race, they will have it in here. Sometimes it says on the races that you need to choose a d6 for the hit dice later on, but otherwise it's just pretty straightforward. Pick the race that you want and off you go. So in this case, I'm going to pick a High Elf Scholar, because why not? The next option that you get is the array. By default, it does a random array of 46, so that's 46 and you drop the lowest to create the three highest scores. But if you were looking to tweak your character a little bit more, you can choose from their selection of balanced arrays or unbalanced arrays. Balanced arrays are, you know, as the name implies, quite balanced. This will be for the medium array, it'll be a 14, 12, 12, 10, 10, 8, quite balanced. For the epic array, 20, 16, 14, 14, 12, 10. That's also, you know, pretty balanced. Finally, terrible array, 8888877. If you go for the unbalanced arrays, though, these ones can be quite good because they really provide a lot of diversity in the character. So you will have a series of focuses where you can go terrible, bad, lower, medium, or higher. So if you were to pick, say, a higher focused array, you would end up with a 16, 14, 12, 10, 8, and 8 that can be applied. So definitely going to be stronger in one area than another, kind of mimicking how a lot of player characters eventually end up. If you don't really care though, you can just leave it at random array 46 and off you go. The next thing that you need to do is to choose the hit dice, the quantity of them, and then their size. So most of the time you want to leave it on a d8 for a medium creature. Occasionally you want to tweak it down to a d6 for a small, or if for some reason you want to create a Tarrasque in humanoid form, I guess choose a d20, but generally speaking, leave that at d8. And then the option for the quantity, this basically defines almost what the level, in inverted commas, of the NPC will be. Because it uses challenge rating, which thank god Ostron is not here, because it uses challenge rating to calculate the attacks, the uh, speed, the bonuses, the proficiency and everything like that, this all gets tied into the hit points which are generated by the hit die. So the more hit die you give them, the higher the level of the NPC that you're generating. Now it doesn't exactly map, so if you choose four hit die, you're probably going to end up with a challenge two-ish creature, whereas if you choose ten hit die, you're probably going to end up with something around, you know, if it's a combat NPC, particularly uh, like a holy champion as an example, you're probably going to end up with, uh, on a 10 hit die, something around challenge 4. So it doesn't exactly scale, but you know, give them 27 hit die, and you're suddenly going to find that you've got yourself a uh, challenge 18 going on. Anyway, so choose the amount of hit dice you want to give them. It takes a little bit of tweaking to find something that you feel comfortable with. And then finally, the last option is, do you want a full sheet which will give you everything including spells and racial abilities and equipment, or do you just want to skip some of that and miss it off? Once you've done that, you simply hit the build that NPC button and it generates the NPC that you have in question. So I generated a high elf scholar with a total of 10 hit dice using the random array, and I have ended up with someone called the Translucent Porpoise who is a scholar. Now luckily you can just click to edit any of the fields because I don't really like that name so I'm going to call my high elf scholar Tony. Can't think why. From that point on it just reads as a standard stat block. You can go in and edit and tweak things as much as you want and then finally there's an option to print. 
So it's pretty simple. It's a very straightforward tool that lets you choose the basics to build and generate NPCs and you can just build lots of these on the fly. One thing that I will say though is a couple of cons. If you use the random array, I have noticed that on occasion it can be terrible. I've had it generate NPCs that are nothing but sixes, at which point it's just easier to shave a baboon and give it the scholar's hat and use that instead. Also, even though I said thank god Ostrin isn't here, the challenge rating is still useless. I managed to generate a pirate that could do four attacks per round that was a challenge rating one-eighth, apparently. I don't know how it did that, but that's what it ended up with. So don't put much stock in the challenge rating, use it as a very rough guide and look at the abilities. And then lastly, as I mentioned, the hit dice being tied to the proficiency and level, it also kind of ties in a little bit with the class that you choose. So a hit dice 30 scholar is still only going to be a challenge rating one at best because all the points get put into wisdom because their skills are not designed to attack things. Whereas if you do a 30 hit dice barbarian, this thing is going to be able to take down, well, the aforementioned Tarasque. So when you generate them, the first couple, look them over, really get a feel for it. But otherwise, this tool is great. It can be used to generate NPC stat blocks on the fly, complete with monster manual style layout to make it really easy to run at your table. So yeah, the, uh, like I said, guys, quite a simple tool. What are your thoughts on it? I think I really like the bestiary option at the top because it also gives you specific NPCs when you generate it. Yes. Yes. Did Sorry, you click I should on have. That? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I probably should have mentioned that as well. So the bestiary list is they've already generated a lot of templates already. So for example, you click bestiary, then you can go to uh, goblin tribe boss huge fat cannibal goblin crazy warrior, and it will generate up that sheet for you. And it is somewhat random too even though it's pre-made or at least from a template, it's not all just cut and paste. I like the layout. Uh, if part of the challenge of running um, NPCs is that if finding the thing you're looking for, right? So if, if you're using monster blocks yeah. on a regular basis, you know where to go if you want to see what the special abilities are. So, you know, your eyes will just find the right spot on this generator. Uh, that helps. That's really helpful. It's uh, what I think. Yeah. And also, I like huge, fat, goblin, cannibal warrior. I mean, you just you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> right. Now, I'm not sure if this is common, but on the innkeeper slash barmaid that I just created, one of his special abilities is I know a guy, and that just makes me happy. Uh, on, the, on the elite, fat, goblin guy, one of his special abilities is you are calming with me. When the Berserker drops a zero hit A bit of a tie yeah, I don't know, but when the Berserker drops to zero hit points, he can try to make one melee attack, melee weapon attack as a reaction to one enemy at five uh, within five feet of him. So, yeah. yeah. I'm going down. Yeah, I think that's supposed you to say me. you're coming with me. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, so typos aside. But he's a goblin elite fat warrior. Of course, he, his spelling is not going to be ideal. But, uh, it's in character. I also really like their Patreon button. It says, please support us. Click here sometimes. <laughs> Click here sometimes. Sorry for the inconvenience, it goes on to say. Yep. I'm honestly not seeing it. Whereabouts are you seeing that? Is it, have I ad-blocked the Patreon button? Maybe. <laughs> it's okay because there's, I don't think there actually is a button. It just says, please click I, here I, I sometimes. Think, I think there's an ad underneath it. 
it's, it's not it's not the Patreon uh, button is it's the, there's an ad that shows up underneath it, so they, they would like you to click there sometimes. But there is a donate button uh, at the top there. Okay, hold on, I have to turn off ad blocker on this page real quick. Yeah, I'm doing the it same. It takes you to their the, the donate button at the top takes you to their PayPal, and so they they'd like you to occasionally click on the coupon item or the uh, HeroWars.com ad. There we go. Yeah, I see it now. Well, apologies, RPGTinker.com. I might have uh, completely screwed up your monetization. Well, I guess I could put a donation. I guess you could. They, they, they'd forgive you for a small PayPal transaction, I'm sure. Well, links to RPGTinker.com can be found in our show notes, but is there something that's an absolute must-have at your tables? Have you found a cool app, book, or other item that you'd like to share with other adventurers and dungeon masters? If so, let us know about it on social media at Heroes Rise D&D, or by emailing SendingStone at HeroesRisePodcast.com. But for now, let's check out some D&D news. Sire, I have news. Now, what sort of news do you have? It's not bad news, is it? No, I can't take bad news. Furniture all over town has been turning into monsters. This week in D&D News. Have you ever wanted to tell your players to just get lost? Well, with the latest product coming our way from the Wizards of the Coast, you can. Coming our way on November 17th alongside Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is a new Dungeon Master Screen and Wilderness Kit. This screen features a huge fantasy landscape on the player-facing side with mist-topped mountains and lush green forests and, of course, the odd dragon or two whilst the inside of the screen features game rules with an emphasis on wilderness exploration. Oh, but that's not all. Taking a leaf out of the Essentials Kit alongside this screen will also be a series of cards, specifically 27 of them that let you track initiative, conditions, and environmental effects, plus the box to hold them in, and five dry erase sheets featuring hex maps, a food and water tracker, and more rules references for exploration. The DM Screen Wilderness Kit will be available at all friendly local gaming stores and online retailers such as Amazon, priced at $24.99 US dollars. It's got dragons on it, guys. So this is an instant buy for you then? Probably. I may not use it as a DM screen. I'll probably frame it instead and put it on my wall. But yeah. but if you do that, you won't be able to see the food and water tracker on the other side of it, which is, I think, probably worth the who cares? I, I, Dragons. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that, that <laughs> tracker is probably worth the price of admission because <laughs> No, you're really not wrong. The tabletop game that is not tabletop that I'm playing because of pandemic stuff, uh, we are doing like this forest adventure and the guy, the RDM is making us keep track of the rations. And fortunately we have a ranger in the party and this is the first game I think I've ever played in where someone is like, you're going to be hungry. What are you going to do about that? We're like, I, 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 I don't know. Wait, I thought I had rations. I had rations. I know I bought rations. I know I did. And so this is you know, that, that tracker that, uh, that's going to be a new thing. Yeah, and actually you raise a good point there. I do wonder why they're producing a DM screen when at the moment the vast majority of advice is for the love of God, do not meet up with people. I, you can look at the dragons. I mean, there's that. <laughs> I mean, there is that. So, yeah. There is that indeed. I will. I guess the good thing about a DM screen is it does actually provide a natural barrier between you and any players that you may have. So if you sneeze, at least it'll be onto the DM screen. It's nice plastic coating, I'm sure. Besides, that food and water tracker is a separate sheet. It's not actually part of the screen. Oh, so it's portable. You don't. You, you could still frame it and still have access to the tracker. But yeah, is this the sort of thing that you guys would pick up for your campaigns? I mean, does having the condition cards and the initiative tracking on there and also these hex maps for, uh, I guess, hex crawling, do you think that this actually 
makes it worth picking up this because this is $10 more than every other DM screen that they've ever produced. Honestly, I think both like what Tony said, the food and water tracker and the initiative trackers are worth the extra price. I And those dragons are pretty. Yeah, I for me, I don't I don't know that uh screens of any type like this is good for me because 99% of the time, if, even if I'm with people, I'm running it off of a computer. I'm pulling up files and stuff. My DM screen is an LCD. Uh, is the laptop yeah, itself. Yeah. I mean, I won't ever use it as a DM screen, probably, because I have the most awesome one ever already. But I like the art on it. Mm. And as an art piece, I would buy it. I think it also points to the fact that Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is probably going to be quite exploration rules heavy. I know that they said that they were introducing them, but I think the fact that they're bringing out a separate product that also reinforces that means that maybe it's going to be a bigger part of the book than we first thought. That is a perfectly Good valid point. argument. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and issue 33 of Dragon Plus, the official Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition digital magazine, is out now and available on all good mobile apps and through the web browser at dnd.dragonmag.com. As well as the usual fiction pieces, comics, maps of the month, and the best of the DMs guild, this issue also features several in-the-works previews from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Curse of Strad Revamped, and Beadle and Grimm's Curse of Strad Legendary Edition, amongst some other things, of course. As always, we'd encourage you to head on over to dnd.dragonmag.com and check out the latest issue for yourself, but we wanted to talk about a couple of our favourite pieces from this month's issue. Now, Ryu, I know that they didn't have a dragon per se in this issue, but did you see the dinosaur riding? That was a possibility. I saw an allusion to the dinosaur riding. Um, that actually made me really happy because that was one of my favorite parts about Tomb of Annihilation. And uh, they're basically that article for our listeners who haven't read the issue. That article is about different races like actual um, speed races mounted or foot that you can do in your campaigns. And that whole article was fun. It gave you a lot of different challenges to do that weren't your normal RPG fare, I would say. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the reason that I asked about it is because I know that you enjoyed the dinosaur racing from there. Um, but it turns out that even though the headline on this is how to race a dinosaur, when you actually open the PDF that it links to, it links to a thing called Dino Wars, which is all about <gasps> the army versus dinosaurs. And when I say the army versus dinosaurs, I mean it has 5th edition rules for like a modern day military complete with their full arsenal. And it goes on about how they can do attacks with uh, automatic weapons, how the army has a movement phase. Um, it also goes through the uh, different types of armor that the dinosaurs might have and how, for example, an Ankylosaurus might react if you shoot it with a pistol, because these are things that I've often wondered. Uh, it then, <laughs> yeah, like I said, goes into everything, including uh, personal vehicles, friendly fire is another thing. And they've got a rule in here called the Rambo rule, which basically says that only those in the army are able to run along, presumably shirtless, pick up light machine guns and just start firing at all the dinosaurs as you do. So anyway, what I'm saying is <laughs> I totally didn't expect this in a 5th edition supplement. But if you have ever wanted to play as, you know, the US Special Forces versus an Allosaurus, we've got you covered now. 
I mean, the writing was on the wall. They're, they've had automatic weapons in the, the the DMG. I mean, you know, there's modern pistols and rifles. I mean, you knew this day was coming, didn't you? Be honest. I mean, yeah, they had they had modern weapons, and they had dinosaurs, and they had that tank. I they've just... got that tank thing, you know, the thing that you pull the levers on, and you know, it like it's like oh, a crab. Yes, what that thing's called. But yeah, I mean, the groundwork was late. Polish. Yeah, I just never necessarily can buy, you know, it's, I'm the kind of guy who, I probably wouldn't have invented Reese's peanut butter cups because I just wouldn't have gone, ooh, chocolate and peanut butter? Like, <laughs> I have a perfectly good spoon to eat the peanut butter with, come on. Right, to put it exactly, on why do I need to use chocolate to scoop it yeah, up? Yeah, right, I, I, I hear you, I mean, but someone went ahead and did that, and the world is a better place for it? I say with a question mark? Yeah, the world is a place the for world. it. Let's not ascribe. <laughs> Let's not make judgments. The book isn't out yet, right? Yeah. The book, right, this this isn't... Well, this this PDF is available. Okay. It's part of... Uh, if you go into Dragon Mag and then go into D&D Classics and scroll down to How to Race a Dinosaur, that's where you will find this. So you can have at it right now. Well, okay. I mean, I guess the world is a place for it. <laughs> So another one of my favorite things about this issue is that the best of the DMs Guild feature is all stuff that happens in Icewind Dale and or a place that could fit really well into Icewind Dale. I just really like that. Who knows? Mm. But I just liked how they were all themed that way because I I seem to remember that like the salt marsh ones during that issue of Dragon Plus, I don't think that the DMs Guild ones were themed like these were. And I could be wrong about that, but these all just struck me. And the summary of each one of the adventures that are in that list really appealed to me. Like, every single one of them sounded like fun. And I can't say that about every other Best of the DMs Guild article that I've seen in Dragon Plus. And another thing that made me really happy was they had another talk about the Adventure Begins card game that we mentioned on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And I know that we talked about how it was going to be for younger players, but I assumed that younger meant 10 and older. And I am happy to say that after reading this article on the Adventure Begins, it's for at least seven-year-olds on the younger side. Like it even says that everybody can take a turn at being the DM, but you can help the younger players who are still struggling with reading if they're not ready to be the DM yet. That just made me happy because my kids are six and they actually aren't struggling with reading all that much. But just knowing how they've worked hard on their reading the past year and seeing that in this article made me very happy that Wizards was thinking about actual younger kids and not preteens. Well, and that's having that ability or rule is also a good way to introduce them to cooperative gaming, right? Like even if you're, yeah. you know, if you have this certain role, other people can help you and you can get that help. And so that, that, that I think is a good, a good training for a full blown DM or sorry, a, a Dungeons and Dragons game later. On. I mean, you could train them as DMs. You might as well start them early. If there's one thing that the game needs, it's more DMs. I, that's true, but I do not think that you want an eight-year-old dungeon master. I, that, I, I, I mean, some of us dungeon masters are eight-year-olds at heart. I'm raising my hand here, but it's radio. You can't see that. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, an actual eight-year-old running the game. I mean, I, 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 I'm as, I'm as 
I'm a big fan of finding peanut butter and jelly loot in the uh, in the treasure boxes like everybody else is, but I mean, there's there's an upper limit to that. Wait, 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 I don't wait, know. Wait, wait, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, huh. not that kind of jelly linen. <laughs> no, not well, not cubes, not cubes of I mean, gelatin. No, not that kind. I don't trust you. I'll be right back. <laughs> Also, I'm sure this will come as no surprise to anybody, but I really enjoyed reading the article about cutie marks and dragons. Although, I have to point out that at one point they say the equestrian party, and they did not capitalize the word equestrian, and that bugged me. (laughs) Were they just referring to general horses, generic horses? I mean, equestrians, you know, horse riders? Well, see, they could be, but this is a My Little Pony crossover, Mm. and... They are from the land of Equestria, so they are equestrians. All right, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a low point for the editorial team. I'm sure they'll take notice of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I really did enjoy that one, and I really enjoyed how much the lady who was in charge of designing the ponies for this, how much fun she had with it, and how she started designing other My Little Pony Dungeons & Dragons characters, too, just for fun. Mm, I think that might hint that we're probably going to get a second set, though. I would be okay with I figured you might. <laughs> well, I read the preview of the uh, uh, for the Tasha's Cauldron book, and I am excited uh, and a little bit, again, a little bit scared that they're bringing the Pokemon into this. So there's the My Little Pony crossover here. Now we got a Pokemon crossover here, too, with, their, with the artifacts. Because mm. the deck has been Let's used. Let's talk about that. Yeah, the deck. They're, they're bringing the, uh, the Taroka deck in. And uh, they're saying that the deck has been used to, quote, capture beings of evil. The risk associated with using its powers is that the spirits trapped inside might escape, and then you may have to go and recapture them, end quote. So I think, you know, clearly they're, they're picking up on the, on the Pokemon phrase, uh, you, you got you to catch them all. So I think that there's another crossover that works here. I did want to point out, too, and I'm glad that Tony brought up Tasha's because there was something that we had missed in this list, and oh, that was the supernatural environments. I think we touched on it slightly by saying that there were going to be additional environments and regions to travel through. But yeah, the information for Tasha's Cauldron of Everything was so scattered across the internet, I'm not surprised we missed it. But yeah, why didn't yeah, you tell everyone just, about these? But just saying that there were going to be some new places to travel through didn't tell me what they actually would be. So I was just kind of like, okay, meh, new places, whatever. And then Dragon Plus came out and started talking about the supernatural environments. So there are things like magical trees, enchanted springs, haunted houses, a place where magic has started to unravel and go wrong. And for your wild magic sorcerer, that just sounds interesting. Right at home. Mm. <laughs> and that just sounds like so much fun. And you don't get a D100 anymore on the wild magic table. It's just a D4. And all of them are, everyone turns blue. <laughs> or turns into a potted or plant. A plant. Or fireball. Because everybody knows that's what you're going to hit. I mean, that's me. That's what I hit. Yeah. Every time. Every time. So, Tony, you play in a 5th edition game, right? Uh, um, yes. Do you DM many? I am attempting uh, a, a, a DM adventure uh, for Curse of Strahd for my children. So that we're seeing how that goes. I mean, you could just ask them to move out. You don't have to traumatize them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the younger one kind of likes, you know, vampires and weird things. And the older one has uh, played a lot of D&D, but he, you know, pandemic quarantine 
uh, his regular mm-hmm. games have sort of uh, evaporated. So uh, this is a nice long campaign. It's got a self-contained book. Uh, I, I don't have to do a whole lot because everything is all mapped out for me. So figured we figured we'd give it a shot. Excellent. So coming from both sides of the screen, then I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners have already written into the scramble to let us know this. But did you have any thoughts on the origin? system that they're introducing the legacy system where you're able to take the ability scores and reassign them i yeah i think that that's a a very good thing and there's a good story reason why that is um either when you're playing a character and you're running a campaign uh from from both sides of the screen either you want people to sort of feel at home in a for lack of a better word familiar stereotypical kind of high fantasy thing or you want to have a good time with playing off those stereotypes. Either you want someone to feel at home and comfy, or you want to challenge people and think, you know, and come at people from uh, out of left field. And I think that having a table where you're free to do that, I think, gives your players uh, some abilities and some latitude. Uh, and if you don't want that, if you want to stick with the old-fashioned rules, your players will know that ahead of time too, and can adjust their expectations accordingly. But I think having a common set of rules where people can make that decision up front uh, is going to be is, is helpful. So good on them for, for untethering some of those things and letting people make characters that, uh, you know, come out of left field a little bit. Shakes the game up. And speaking of coming out of left field, is there anything in Tasha's that you, other than the artifacts, obviously, that you're looking forward to getting your hands on? Uh, I was going to say the, uh, the, the sidekicks, I think, is going to be fun. Uh, mm. Because, I mean, every great hero needs a sidekick. Uh, and, and, right. and what is Batman without Robin? I know, I know, right? So, and, and in the game that we're running, you know, I've got two children, and I'm not going to have two more children so I can have a party of four because, you know, getting up to speed. I mean, Ryu's talking like waiting seven years so they can read to start the beginner game. I mean, I, I ain't got that kind of time. So, what I did <laughs> was I sort of made up two NPCs just using a regular roll table, you know, just, you know, just regular uh, uh, character generator and uh, D&D Beyond. If they had sidekick rules, if I, if I had those available, I would have done that. I would have said, here, use these rules to, to roll yourselves a sidekick. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cludging this system together with my own way, but, you know, they're going to have this for you as part of the official rule set. We mentioned last week, well, I mean, I didn't, the other guys did, uh, about a new convention called D&D Celebration 2020. The event to be held online because of all things COVID runs from September 18th through September 20th, and lets fans from all over the world join in online games, watch discussion panels, and celebrate the release of Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden. As well as the games you can join in, there will be actual play sessions with some of the more prominent D&D celebrities. Oh, and all the times we're about to read are in Pacific, which is Greenwich Mean Time, minus eight. Opening on Friday, September 18th at 7.45 a.m. Pacific, with an introduction by L.S. Seeley Wood, the first event is at 8 a.m. with a live game, Oxventure. 10 a.m. is a panel, Dungeons and Designers, where Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins will discuss the latest rule changes coming with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. At 11 a.m. is another D&D live game, How We Roll. And at 1 p.m. is another panel, Adventurers Wanted, live. 2 p.m. is another live game, A Darkened Wish, followed by another panel at 4 p.m., Invisible Dragons, Designing Mental Health Adventures. As you might have guessed, this is followed by another live game at 5 p.m., Rivals of Waterdeep, another panel at 7 p.m., How to Become a D&D Designer, and finally, the day is finished off at 8 p.m. with another live game, Acquisitions Incorporated. 
Saturday also brings us a rotating selection of live games and panels, though at the time that I'm recording this, only some of the D&D live games have actually been announced. So the game at 8am, who knows what it's going to be, but at 11am there is a panel behind the screen, a DM roundtable. The game that is at midday, again, still yet to be announced, but at 3pm there is another panel, what it means to be a bard. Finally, at 4pm, the live play game will be Viva La Dirt League, also known as Dragon Friends, maybe including Dragon Friends? It's got a slash in there. I don't know what that means. And finally, at 7.30pm, there will be another D&D live game with I Speak Giant. And finally, on Sunday, we start with a live game, High Rollers, at 8am, followed by a panel at 10am on inclusive dungeon design for the intrepid adventurer. 11am sees another live game, Realm Smith with another panel at 1pm on Weaving Asian Stories. 2pm's live game is Dice Stormers, and the convention ends at 4 with a panel from inside the D&D studio. As we mentioned, aside from the panels, there are a series of Adventurers League games that are being run alongside all the panels and live games, which are free for everyone to take part in, but you do need to be registered. We'll have links in the show notes if you want to sign up and play. If you're just interested in the panels, those are free to attend, being broadcast on their Twitch channel at twitch.tv dnd. You just need to tune in at the right time. So is it just me, or have Wizards been having a lot of D&D conventions this year? I think it's just because Wizards haven't been able to get out to places like Gen Con this year, because obviously they have their now annual official one, D&D Live, but before they would always do things like PAX and Gen Con and various other conventions where they would let some of this information slip. So I think they're just having to host it all themselves as a result. I, yeah, this is part of competing for mind share. I mean, as, as long as there's something going on, something people can tune into to you know feel like they're a part of the community, even if they can't attend a thing, uh, you know, they're, they're competing for those entertainment dollars from Every, everybody else is trying to entertain you while you're staying at home. So this this helps keep it uh, you know, front and center in people's mind. And of course, normally at these different conventions, that's where you would get the things like Acquisitions Incorporated live games, where that would just be drip-fed throughout the year. They obviously haven't been able to do that this year either. So yeah, like Tony said, it's just trying to keep it front and center in people's minds. Having said that, PAX has also announced that they're doing PAX Online, and that's a whole week's worth of panels and that starts I think it's next Saturday the 12th and goes through until the 19th but I also did notice that some of those panels had very similar names to the ones that are being done here so I wouldn't be surprised if they're basically just recording it once and broadcasting it in both places seems likely I hope not though yeah I would hope not they they could be taking like they could be you know doing uh, like a traveling road show right like you know you play one show in Cleveland and the next week you're you're playing it in Dayton right I mean that they could be bringing the same panel and the same people and the same topic but then they're just doing it again in front in a different venue but uh why would they do that they could just record it once and play it twice and you know maybe you're not free this weekend but you are the next weekend uh so you, you miss it there and you catch it here so time will tell are there any of the panels that you guys are interested in catching? Of the ones listed here, I had nothing caught my mind, caught my eye. They did have, uh, I did see a bunch of them at the PAX one. I don't know if there's overlap on them. Yeah, well, let's talk about the PAX ones as well, because if people have never been to PAX, those panels are always great. Me and Ostron went last year to PAX Unplugged, and there was a load of interviews that we did that were in an episode. I can't remember what it was, probably about a year ago. But those panels are pretty fantastic. So 
because it's online this year, definitely check it out. But yeah, Tony, what's uh, what sort of things on PAX are you looking forward to? Well, I, I saw a couple of them here that just sort of caught my eye. Uh, the uh, one for, you know, the hit home, uh, improving your tabletop podcast, learn from our mistakes. So, you know, I, I feel like that one spoke to me. Uh, I mean, what, what are you what are you insinuating here? I, I'm, uh, as, as far as I know, the game that I'm running is absolutely perfect. But I mean, other people might have made things wrong <laughs> and I would like to learn uh, what they did wrong. So in the future, I don't make those mistakes because, uh, you know, right. things might happen in the future where I mess something up and, and do something bad. So want to want to avoid that if possible. Uh, sure. The other one I saw was sure. game and interaction design for older adults. That means you someday. Uh, so that, that was that was another one that I uh, uh, think that I, I should probably attend for for reasons, uh, and I and I take back my previous statement a little bit. I think the Dungeons and Designers, uh, with a discussion of the rule changes uh, in Tasha's Cauldron, I think that one probably would be uh, one that if you're if you're up on the whole new fangled shenanigans, uh, it might be worth a might be worth a listen. I'm actually a little bit wary about the. Designing mental health adventures one. I can see why. Yeah. Because as our friends at the Badana Group have uh, mentioned many times before, don't do this unless you're a professional. So I really hope that they're going to have that disclaimer in there more than once. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, yeah. It's, it's one thing in a recent game that I was in, uh, we were doing the... Uh, like a Call of Cthulhu system, and it, those are you know typically very dark and you know, mysterious and stuff. And he and the DM specifically said, "I want to tackle some, you know, some thorny social issues and stuff. We're going to set this game kind of in the South, and there's going to be some pretty overt racism and things like that." And even with that disclaimer up front and the buy-in from the players and stuff, it was still touchy, right? Mm-hmm. And so anything where you're where you're where you're even if you get buy-in from the players. And that's just social things. This is about people's, you know, health. This is, that's like a step beyond that even. I hope they're careful. One thing that does give me a little bit of hope about it, though, is it is moderated by, um, I can never pronounce his last name, but that's fine because everybody just knows him as Dr. B, who, along with the Badana Group, is one of the main advocates for mental health and role-playing being a therapeutic tool for it. And he is also one of the ones who heavily disclaimers, do not therapize your friends. So... Hopefully, that message should get across. Good. As for me, the panels that I'm probably most looking forward to are definitely going to be the ones about the rules changes. I did think what it means to be a bard sounded a little bit like a short rest we did a couple of weeks ago, so... That's that's what you get for making a podcast, letting people steal your ideas. It's like you're basically inviting them. Yeah. You're basically inviting them to do it. I mean, you guys basically made Star Citizen, right? That's how it's going I at this point? I love the game we're building. I love it. Now, right. If the, if the developers would just catch up to what we're doing, that would be great. Mm. Yeah, well, it looks like D&D are catching up to what we're doing. Good. Finally. Finally. Jeez. Other than that, though, I'm probably going to end up having to listen to all of them anyway, because we will listen to all of them so you guys out there, the listeners don't have to because we'll tell you everything that goes on <laughs> you're gonna have you're gonna have an eight hour long show to, to condense down three days worth of, of content hey we've done it before <laughs> i cried but we will do it again and finally in our news roundup ign were treated to an early look at icewind dale rhyme of the frost maiden and they've decided to share a little bit of that goodness with us 
The preview consists of the first three pages of Chapter 1, which details each of the ten towns of the Frozen North, any of which the adventure can actually start in, so you're not tied to one specific location. It then goes on to a table of rumours, some quests in the ten towns, how characters can advance in level and reputation, along with an overview of the region in general. Chris Perkins says that the goal of the early adventures in the Ten Towns is to reinforce the themes of isolation, secrecy, and paranoia, with each town showing a settlement in crisis, with the goal being that this part of the adventure is just to last one or two sessions. This also allows you to run this chapter for multiple groups and have a different experience every time you do. After the first three pages of Chapter 1 were shown one of the appendices, the Icewind Dale Trinkets Table. Much like the trinkets table in the player's handbook, this table has players roll on a D100 to receive mundane items, such as a piece of sea glass shaped like a unicorn's horn, or an owl figurine carved from whalebone. Next we get shown a new creature, kinda, the Chewinga, which last made an appearance in Tomb of Annihilation, actually from the jungles of Chult, and the Cold Light Walker, a CR5 chaotic evil undead that embodies certain aspects of Aureal, the Frost Maiden from the book's title. So having had a little preview of this, this reads very much to me like the Essentials Kit and how that opens. I don't know if you guys have played through Dragon of Icepire Peak or even read through it. It gives me very similar vibes though, how this opens with the towns and then you get a whole series of rumours, but the way that it's built is pretty much, you could take the Essentials Kit, swap out the various town names and drop it straight in and it would basically be a, a, a pretty, pretty even match, including the way that they discover quests and little bits of information about the region, although we're not given any details on the actual quests, just from what I've read in there. If you like the Essentials Kit, this is going to be something that you're, you're going to want to pick up. So what was your favorite of the trinkets? So my favorite is the Christmas tree ornament. A delicate glass ball painted with snowflakes capped by a metal loop with a tiny hook attached to it. Ah, yes, it looks like an actual bauble. My favorite's the one right above that one. Uh, a jar containing an unidentifiable sweet sticky substance. What What do you believe this sweet sticky substance to be? Well, I don't know, Lennon. It's unidentifiable, but clearly someone <laughs> tasted it. So whatever it is, it, 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 you know, people were brave enough to put it in their face. But that's what I mean, because like honey has always just baffled me. Because who looked at a beehive and thought those stinging are hiding something delicious? I bloody know it. <laughs> some, some similar equivalent in the frozen tundras of the north has produced this, and I, you know, I, 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 I and I am I'm fascinated by it. A whole quest could be around what is in this jar and what made it and how did it get to be here. I mean. Uh, the possibilities are endless with this. As long as it's not anything like classic slurm. <laughs> I liked the one that was above that though, the Ulo knife with a scrimshaw handle. Purely because I think a trinket that can double as a weapon is kind of pushing the uh, pushing the definition of trinket a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, try, you know, try getting through a metal detector with that. That's my trinket. Right. Yeah, that's, give me back my trinket. Yeah, also, the picture of it is definitely something that you would get arrested for carrying in the UK, so... Definitely a weapon. Absolutely. I mean, that's that is straight out of uh, that episode of Enterprise with the Andorians. Sorry to cross the streams that way. No, no, it absolutely is. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it was odd that they had a piece of sea glass shaped like a unicorn's horn, when surely a narwhal would be more appropriate. So true. So true. And I also uh, am just scratching my head at the fact that we've got 
the word scrimshaw three times on this page. Four times. Are there, I mean, is everything, (laughs) scrimshaw is going to be like, is this a scrimshaw based economy that we're entering in the 10 towns? (laughs) Because the the, the scrimshaw is everywhere. I mean, there is, yeah, I'm I'm just looking at it now. There there is a lot of. Five, wait, I'm I'm seeing more. Yeah. Good Lord. I mean. The, just so I just to double check that I've got the right definition here. A scrimshaw that is basically an ivory carving, right? That's what it sort of boils down to. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. According to Google, uh, it is ivory or shells uh, that have been uh, carved or colored designs put on. Right. So even then, if you take things like an owl figurine carved from whalebone, it doesn't say it's a scrimshaw, but it still probably counts. <laughs> yeah. So even yeah. when they're not saying the word out loud, they're implying it. There's this. It, it's a scrimshaw-based economy. Yeah. I, I think I think that should inform any DMs who are going to try to you know craft magic items or you know, uh, uh, to, you know when you come across uh, items in shops or in uh, tents or in people's houses, the word scrimshaw needs to be used liberally uh, to set the scene and the mood for your players. Part of me really loves that Chewingas are making a comeback in this and Mm -hmm. I especially love that they specifically point out that these Chewingas are basically Cholten immigrants but at the same time that was one of the things that really made Cholt special and unique and now they've put this in Icewind Dale and like, I'm happy because I really like the Chewingas, but I'm still kind of like, uh, but, but that just, it makes it, uh. It's a corollary along with the whole uh, uh, lineage thing, right? You know, you thought that things were restricted to certain ways, but that is just not how it is anymore. Yeah. You can have strong elves and, and dexterous orcs. That can be, that, that's how things work. Now, I do like that the Chewingas themselves have basically evolved some of them became more icy in nature and other ones decided to try to mimic humans by crafting clothing for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I was never really a fan of the Chewingas before. They just annoyed me. So the fact that they're here, I'm honestly indifferent to it, but yeah, it is what it is. Now, see, they remind me from the little spirits in Princess Mononoke. So I just really like them because of that. So let's move on to the Cold Light Walker. Um, so these things are described as god-spawned horrors. Um, they are undead chaotic evil, but they are essentially like trapping parts of the element, but not in like an elemental way, and giving it a humanoid spectral form, and then just letting it loose into the snow. They- Basically, I feel that this is everything that the White Walkers from Game of Thrones should have been and should have been able to do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did I? No, no, you're, 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 you're I, 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 sense, I sense what you're, what you're saying here. Yeah, no, I like it. I feel it. Yeah, okay. I feel okay. it. I have, I, I have not watched thought, Game of Thrones or read the books that they, it's based on. So, I would say read the yeah. books, but we don't. They, they haven't been finished yet. Yeah, you know, it's, and, yeah. and you know, and the, the show is, you know, I mean, it's only an hour and a half long, right? I mean, we do not have that kind of time. <laughs> Anyway, challenge rating 5, they can make a couple of attacks. Um, It's all relatively, you know, on-pass stuff. So they've got a cold ray with a plus 3 to hit. Um, They do have a couple of special abilities. Icy Doom was the one that I like, which is any creature killed by the walker gets frozen for 9 days, during which time it cannot be thawed, harmed by fire, animated, or raised from the dead. 
So if your party encounters one of these and one of them happens to go down, that's it for basically 10 days. So it really does add a, a bit more survival element to the Frozen North, which is good because otherwise it's quite easy to not die in D&D. Or at least not stated. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To come back again and again is is fine. They couldn't call it Carbonite, uh, but I mean, I think that's, that's what they were going for, I think. <laughs> and then once they're frozen in Carbonite, you just right. carve it into a scrimshaw and sell it. <laughs> that's right. The White Walker puts you in Carbonite and then he carves a scrimshaw in you. That's right. I really enjoy that they have the opening of the first chapter on there. It gives you a good taste of what to expect in Ten Towns. However, I can't help but wonder as I'm reading through that why anybody would want to live there in the first place. The, the, the scrimshaw-based economy, obviously. I mean, <laughs> there's apparently plentiful well, it even wyvern. says that it's... It says that it's so ridiculously cold outside that as soon as people get off work, they just go home and then don't come back out of their houses again. And so it lends an eerie quietness to the town. And I'm like, if it's so cold that you can't go outside, why do you live there? I've got to be honest, as an introvert who absolutely loves the autumn and winter, this place sounds idyllic. Even the place where they have to burn whale oil and little bitty lanterns and huddle close to each other to survive the cold at night. I'm good with the cuddling. I'll go. I'll go with that. <laughs> I'd probably have to find some other source for the heat. But um, yeah, no. As a whole, I mean, I used to live in Canada. It's clearly just in my nature. I think he's got a he's got a closet full of sweaters. Just 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 rows and rows. Each one of them has a pocket full of scrimshaws. <laughs> Now that we're all caught up with the latest D&D news, let's take a short rest and head into the archives of Candlekeep to learn about a famous wizard. There are those who call her... Tasha? I require access to all human knowledge. Oh, you've come to the right place, my boy. Anthony, darling, nice of you to join us here. You're a detective sort, so tell me... Why has Ostron been hiding these notes away when they're clearly about the best wizard ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard about what happens when Ryu puts on the hat. Uh, besides, it looks like he wasn't actually hiding them. He just put them under this book so they wouldn't blow away. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you can you can take that back now. Uh, oh, and I'm a lawyer, by the way, not a detective. Ugh, another rules lawyer. Fine. With the organ donor not around, I guess you'll do. Tell me, are your kidneys original? Uh, not a rules lawyer, just 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 a regular one. Oh well, specifics don't matter to me. It's what's on the inside that counts. Uh, you have you have medical insurance, right, Tony? I'm not sure it's going to cover this. That's a shame. Anyway, given that she thinks we're talking about the best wizard ever, I can only imagine we're talking about Aserek today. Oh no no no! Wait 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 wait! Uh, Halister Blackcloak, right? Why would I waste my time with those tryhards? One of them went insane, and the other one died. Hardly the traits of success and superiority. Also, misogynist much? Alright, 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 fine. Who are we talking about then? One of the few legendary characters attached to magic that doesn't fall into the old white man category is this wonderful woman. 
Now, her birth name was Natasha, but she didn't let herself be limited by that. She gained incidental fame using the shortened version of Tasha, but she really came into her own as a strong, independent woman using the name Ingvild. Now, I know what everyone's thinking. How can you say this is an independent woman? She was working with partners and mentors most of her career. And really, that just shows you have no respect for the struggle of a strong woman in a man's world. So... To put it delicately, what the killer DM is alluding to is that Igvilv has a reputation of being something of a black widow. But we'll get to that and we need to start at the beginning. So Tasha, which I'll use for now because the other name sounds way too much like someone trying to read Welsh phonetically, is from the Greyhawk setting and was the creation of Gary Gygax himself. Because she was created that early and was part of Greyhawk, it does mean that there are a number of contradictory pieces of information about her, so this will cover the major events that most people agree are canon. Her most common physical form is a humanoid woman with pale skin, long straight black hair, black eyes, and what can be described as a conventionally attractive body. As a child, she was apparently adopted by the demigod Baba Yaga, and that's the one with the chicken-legged hut. And adopted is in quotes because most sources agree it probably wasn't entirely at the will of whoever Tasha's parents were. At a base level, she's apparently a human, but the number of things that happened from Baba Yaga on put a lot of caveats on that. Baba Yaga taught her a lot of magic, and she acquired the name Natasha the Dark during her time there. 300 years prior to the current Greyhawk timeline, she reappeared in the Greyhawk land of Ket, calling herself Hura. Apparently, she was there because of being run off from another locale where she plundered a vault of the god Daud and made off with a powerful artifact. Now, this is where I need to school you all on how to get ahead. See, after all that, she showed up in Greyhawk calling herself Tasha and got herself apprentice to the wildly famous mayor of the city, Zagig. That apparently raised a lot of eyebrows, but honestly, those people were probably just jealous. If a beautiful woman comes in and gets an apprenticeship with a guy that literally didn't take on any apprentices before that and you start making assumptions about why he agreed to it, really that's on you. Anyway, she hung around with Zagig and traveled with his boy band, the Company of Seven, and that's where she got her legacy started. See, while learning from Zagig, who some people say was the best wizard in the multiverse other than Vecna, she came up with Tasha's hideous laughter and published her first Demonomicon, all that while helping Zagig imprison a demon lord. Um. It says here in the notes that the Demonomicon was actually called the Tome of Zix, and Tasha stole it from Zagig after secretly working with the Demon Lord Frazur Blue whilst he was imprisoned. Yes, but who is in control of the message here? Zagig was in charge of Greyhawk, and of course he is going to try to take credit for what the woman did. Plus, he went on to become the god of insanity in Greyhawk, so how reliable a source is he, really? Right. Well, after separating from Zagig, Tasha was apparently on the quest for a replacement, so she went to the tomb of a wizard named Sodjkanth, and bound his spirit to her service. Her relationship with the dead wizard apparently not being fulfilling enough, for an encore, she decided to summon and seduce the demon lord Gretzt, with whom she eventually had a son. I'm sensing some judgement here. Oh, no, 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 she just has, um, interesting preferences for romantic companions. Anyway, with Gratz's help, she conquered the area known as the Perrinland in the space of a year using the name Igvilv. Apparently, there was some genuine affection there though because Gratz gifted her a magic cloak made of pit fiend hide called the Fiend's Embrace. Ah, oh, I do love homemade gifts. 
Unfortunately, the honeymoon period in that relationship ended a mere ten years later. Gratz escaped her control and then suggested she use her enslaved wizard spirit to seal the rapidly expanding hole to the abyss she created when she summoned the demon lord. Sajkanth used that attempt to actually fight back for the first time, well, ever, and that weakened Igdvilv enough that she barely survived a subsequent attack by her former lover, Gratz. She managed to defeat and banish his physical form and send him back to the abyss, but it's said her body was a mess afterwards, and her true physical form from then on became that of a hunched and hideous old woman, with the more attractive visage she usually used manifesting only because of magic. People thought she was actually dead after that, but you can't keep a good woman down. Um, good woman? Fine, you can't keep a powerful, independent woman down. And for those of you claiming she only got where she was because of men helping her, well, I'm pleased to tell you that she took her act solo after the mess with her jealous exes. About a century after the mess with trying to benevolently rule Perrinland, Igwilv and her daughter, a vampiress named Relzna, were trying to protect all the money and magical artifacts Igwilv put away for safekeeping. And the self-important gets the Circle of Eight sent a bunch of people to stop them. And then the same group sent this poser named Tensor to mess her day up again a few years later with an artifact called the Crook of Rao. I'm guessing he wasn't the only crook in that crowd. No, no, Rao's a god, not one of the adventurers, and in the poser's defense, she was trying to summon a bunch of fiends to the material plane. Of course they'd say that. I swear a girl does one thing that's misconstrued, and that's their thing forever. Like, I don't always kill Ostron and take his kidneys, now do I? No, sometimes you just kill him. See? Slender Michael. Wait, 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 hang on, hang on. I think technically, I think that you'll find that the definitions well, you're talking well, about well, here. Tony, Tony, what? I know you're new here. Trust me, you do not want to do that. Uh, um, but slant... Not, okay. Not unless okay. you want to become Gath's latest patient. Okay. Uh, anyway, anyway, in an apparent attempt to rebuild her family, sometime after the first attempt, the Circle misplaced the crook, and Igvil summoned a bunch of fiends, then put them in command of her son, Ayuz, which was the catalyst of the Greyhawk Wars, essentially a Greyhawk version of World War One. Whilst that was going on, Igvilf tried to reconcile with her ex, Gretzt, but by this time the Demon Prince insisted rather forcefully that she come to his place instead and try to take part in some of his hobbies like, you know, torture and pain. She was eventually rescued by Tierney, a Nalfeshni demon who hated Gretzt. They teamed up because, apparently, she was on the rebound. Okay, I'm getting some definite judgy vibes again, so why doesn't the professional liar just finish this part off? It's, it's pronounced lawyer. I know what I said. Uh, okay, right, right. Okay, well, well, Igvilv and Tierney made their way to one of Igvilv's bases on the moon. See, she has a moon base. How cool is that? Yeah, very cool. No supervillain lair vibes there at all. Anyway, they tried to open another portal from the abyss to reinforce her son's forces in the material plane, but annoying adventurers ruined her day again, and the two decided to go their own way. This uh, this part does not look like Ostron's handwriting. Did did you edit his notes? Let's not dwell on irrelevant details. Anyway, after all that, it will set herself up in the Grey Wastes, a subset of the Outer Plains of Hades. In the current static lore of D&D, she doesn't have any particular goals or plans. But really, I think she's just biding her time, and the simple-minded men who write the histories can't fathom what she's doing unless it's right in their faces. 
Anyway, you need to cover more people like her going forward. I mean, who needs Morden kind of when you've got this deliciously delightful girl? Okay, so you did read the part where she is regularly summoning demons from the abyss into the material plane, right? So they say. How do we know this Tensor wasn't trying to do that and she stopped them? Well, I mean, I mean, Tensor's two most famous spells let people carry things and survive in combat. And on the other hand, her spell drives people insane with laughter. Spreading joy throughout the... Ugh, you know what? I just can't even with you both right now. Okay, guys, we should go to the scrying pool right now. Um, Ryu is... Look, I was only able to make that save because she couldn't decide which spell to cast. The more we stay on this subject, the more chance she'll have to come back. So, listeners, questions, subject change. What news from the north? Riders of Rohan! Last week we asked you, the listeners out there in the multiverse, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is coming out in November and news is leaking like a sieve. So what have you heard that most excites you? Psionics? New subclasses? Tattoos? The cover art? And what's your impression of the lineage system? How do you think it will affect the game going forward? Or do you think it'll have a wide-reaching effect at all? RT Nix on Twitter says, I'm disappointed to hear the side dice mechanic from the last UA was either dropped entirely or possibly changed, as it had an interesting flavor and was the first version of Psionics I was excited about trying out. And that's from a hardcore fan of second edition slash mystic UA options too. As for what stands out most in Tasha's to me, I'm always excited for new subclasses to make the move to official release, even if we've kind of seen all of them before. I'm also extremely curious to see the parts of the book we haven't gotten early looks at yet. And Casa Floater Extraordinaire on Discord says, Why would anyone be excited about Mimic Colonies? Oh yeah, because they're awesome. I'll be buying the frockle out of this book. I am ridiculously excited. I understand the argument about new subclasses versus previous UA subclasses, but honestly, I'm just really happy they playtested any of the new stuff. I'm not fussed about the alt covers because all of my books are the classic variety and they look pretty cool on my shelf. The lineage thing is a slippery slope. I can see what Wizards of the Coast were thinking, but honestly, I think any race slash any stats could actually be interesting. Given that racial features and aesthetics may be the only thing that separates the races now, I hope it will assist players into leaning on roleplay a bit more. That being said, these super min-maxes may actually find character building a bit tedious now, as there won't be as much of a challenge to make that perfect melee wizard tank of holiness. It's like unlocking all of the stats on a new game plus. I'm really just waiting to see exactly how they are working on it. If I don't like it, I won't use it. I'm the DM. It's not as if Wizards of the Coast will break down my door and snap my neck if I don't use the new racial system. Basically, everybody just needs to chill out until we have all the facts. Also, thanks for the Illithid rundown, that was amazingly helpful. Mike, aka Still a Nerd from Discord writes in and says, What has me most interested about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is the official version of the class feature variants. One drawback of 5th edition is that, despite having numerous subclasses, the various classes can seem too much alike from a gameplay standpoint. Being able to customize one's character by selecting which class features you want, similar to what Pathfinder 2nd edition has done, allows for more player freedom without bogging them down in needless minutiae. Hopefully, the finalized version will offer more optional replacement features than merely enhancing existing ones like the unearthed Arcana version did. As for the lineage system, I suspect that at its basic level it will give players the option of playing a variant human without actually being a variant human. In other words, instead of elves, dwarves, halfling, half-orcs, and the like having fixed plus one or plus two ability score increases, they can opt instead to increase one ability score by two and then select a feat of their choice. 
Moreover, we technically have a mini version of the lineage system already with the variant half-elf from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, in which skill versatility can be replaced with a high elf cantrip, Mask of the Wild, and so forth. After all, if the Blade Singer from that book is being reprinted, then I imagine Tasha's will do likewise for the variant half-elf and apply something similar to the other playable races. But if the lineage system winds up being a Frankenstein's monster mishmash of various traits and abilities like Ostron feards, uh, then no thanks. TR Knight on Discord says, I am withholding any comments until I can actually see the new book. Even with all the leaks, there are way too many unknowns to know how these new rules will impact the game. And Turkey Guy on Discord says, On Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the alt cover is pretty but not thematically consistent with all the other alt covers. While I'll probably pick it up, the book has Wizards of the Coast blithely confirming the assumptions that they don't really plan their book content out very far and just kind of do a roundup of what people have on their desks. So much so that one of my other discords thought that someone quoting the description of the book was actually a bit of satire about their methods. I was also surprised that y'all seem to have a similar, generally sceptical opinion of the material. As far as the lineage system goes, it could be interesting, but I'll have to walk through it with my players if we use it when we go to the start of a new campaign next summer. I've already presented them a thematically consistent roster of races, backgrounds, classes and subclasses that they will get to build characters from, so something like this could actually be helpful for that. Sausage from Discord writes in and says, My two cents on the lineage system. I think it's not going to be the game changer or game breaker many are predicting. From what I've gathered, I think the two options are going to be, one, existing D&D race with all its standard racial characteristics, halfling luck, dark vision, flight, etc. But the ability score bonuses will be free to give to whatever abilities you choose. B, variant human 2.0 or variant race, where you get one or maybe two racial traits or feats and ability score modifiers. My guess is with the traits or feats, they'll be either pick one or possibly you get two, but it's one from column A, one from column two type scenario. This seems to fit with the way 5e works already, and while I'm sure there's going to be power gamer options, I don't think it's going to be the disaster Ostron is fearing. Brewhammer on Discord says, From what I've heard of what's in Tasha's, there are some positives aside from subclasses, features, lineage, etc. Like the hostile environment stuff. I'm very excited about that. New magic items sound great. New spells made me kind of yawn. Xanathar's was a mess in that regard, but I'm trying to stay positive. As far as character mechanics, I'm glad that the class features UA is making its way into a published book, and especially glad for Rangers, because that UA helped them out a lot. Also excited about the genie-packed warlock, because genies. Lineage? Eh, I'm old school and come from a time where fantasy race and class choice meant something and took a bit of commitment. Today's culture eschews the absolutes of the past in favor of more nebulous greys. I get it, I see why Wizards of the Coast felt that they had to do something. On one side you've got today's woke sensibilities, and on the other you've got Pathfinder 2E's ancestries. Lineage will be there for people who either adopt or ignore. Choice is almost always win-win. And Dunderhill on Discord says, Without seeing the details of the lineage system, I think the time to unhitch culture from race and race from species was actually years ago when they were designing 5th edition. Here, it's a mechanical retcon. But I'll be pleasantly surprised if it isn't clunky and exploitable. So overall, a lot of people are actually quite excited for Tasha's, but it seems like the lineage system kind of has a bit of a take-it-or-leave-it side, but in a good way, as in, if you want to use it, you can. If you don't, then you don't have to. And I think, yeah, most people are probably just waiting to see how it actually pans out, even if Ostron is saying that the sky is falling. I get a strong vibe from this. You guys use D&D Beyond pretty regularly both of you yeah have you have you used the custom background 
uh, feature on there? I have not. Where you don't choose sage or, you know, hermit or whatever. You don't, you just build your own. It's just like you, you write in the various options and then like choose a tool proficiency. Choose a ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, I get the, I get a strong, my sense is that it's going to be very similar to that. If you, if you'll, you'll pick orc or whatever, half orc. And then you'll have one racial trait that, you know, it's just, you, you're a half orc, you get that. And then it'll be, do you want it the old-fashioned way? Or do you want the new-fashioned way? And if you use a new-fashioned way, you'll get a drop-down menu that says choose, you know, two two bonuses, one feat, whatever. Uh, and they'll have it so that it's balanced out like that. I, that that's, that's the vibe I'm getting here. Because I've, I like that custom background generator mm. to give flavor to characters, right? You know, yeah, you set him up as a wizard or a fighter or whatever, but you choose that background and all of a sudden you have some proficiencies that you wouldn't typically find on a fighter. Uh, and it just makes your character a little different. So, Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I also think that's one of the good things about the class features UA being in the book as well is that it also helps to give the extra flavor to characters like that to really, like you were saying, not just have your standard wizard fighter, but a little bit of variance if you wanted to have two characters which this is something that fifth edition certainly suffers from which pathfinder second edition managed to get really good is that in fifth edition if you are playing a gloomstalker ranger and another character is playing a gloomstalker ranger you will be identical whereas in pathfinder second edition you could both be playing not only the same class and subclass but the same race and be two vastly vastly different characters so i think this is just gonna add so much more diversity in those regards the only thing that i can think of is talking about something that ostron said last week but since he's not here i feel weird bringing it up because it feels like i'm <laughs> talking about him we should definitely do we that. should we should we absolutely <laughs> should it's his fault for not being here if he wants to you know run around the wilderness in a tent with <laughs> friends having a good time and i'm not jealous no probably not paying attention to the ration table right probably ignoring it because we all know he throws those rules out he's brought it up time after time so i say if, <laughs> if he wants to do that then you know pros and cons right plus two to tent minus one to being able to defend your position on a podcast whilst ryu says something so i know that ostron mentioned last week that he was worried about people taking things that were inherent species qualities like dragon's born breath and I just don't see that particular side happening at all. I think his fears are understandable. Yeah, I agree. But I still think they're fears. Yeah, I, I think you're gonna. I think they're gonna probably say like, if choosing a, a, a species will get you something, whether you know dragons breath or dragons born or you know whatever the whatever the Azamar give you or whatever, you're gonna get that thing, and no one else can have that thing because that's you know why else would you pick a race then? I mean, what's What's the point of having those different species unless they gave you something exclusive to that species? And it's just that the stat bonuses and proficiencies and skills and, you know, those can be mixed and matched. Yeah. They've got to, they've got to keep the uniqueness of each different species somehow. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see a variant rule, which is like a ask your DM before doing this, but if you want to create a new player race, here's how you do it. I can see that being in there because we got rules on how to create new monsters um but there isn't any rules sure. so far on how to create a whole player race from scratch so i could see them having guidance on that and that might be the only place that you could do that 
I can see somebody saying like, well, I'm a half orc, but my other half is dragonborn, so half a dragon breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's where Lennon's thing comes in. Where oh, that's fine. That's a new thing now. When when you're talking half orc within the sort of the the rule book, half orc is orc human. So you get this species trait if you choose that. If you want to be something else, an orc dragonborn, well, that's something new, and so you'd have to use uh, Lennon's hypothetical, you know. Uh, a species creator system. Try that. I could be wrong, but I don't think it specifies human as the other half. Well, that's... Now who's the <laughs> rules lawyer? <laughs> I mean, that is another thing that Pathfinder 2nd Edition did, is they don't have half-orc, and they don't have uh, half-elf as a race, um, or an ancestry. Instead, it is a type of human, and a part of the, like, sub-ancestries, you can choose half-orc half-elf. I think you can even pick half-dwarf from memory. But they are all classed as human. So that definitely ties in. Otherwise, yeah, you can get, you know, I'm a half-orc, half-dragonborn. Which, yeah. I'm just just thinking about an orc with a breath weapon. And I think I might need to make this after the show. Yep. <laughs> also, Katie called you the rules lawyer, not me. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> Two distinct personalities and... <laughs> right, 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 Jerry. The one, one personality from Headgear. Mm-hmm. Got it, all right, all right. And if you don't agree with that, you soon will. Trust me. <laughs> and in general feedback, Rebel on Discord says, Show feedback. Thanks. You're always welcome, Rebel. See, see, Tony, we've got a Sean Newboy too. Well, uh, yeah, it's Rebel. Yeah, <laughs> from the other <laughs> show. show. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, we had to import him, but... Hi, Rebel. And that brings us to this week's community questions. Will you be attending the D&D Celebration 2020? Are there any panels that you're excited to check out? And did the previews of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden whet your appetites for an adventure in the frozen north? What's your take on a scrimshaw-based economy? And the newest DM screen from Wizards of the Coast. A worthwhile addition to the accessories lineup, or is it just another useless product that ultimately nobody really asked for? Details on how you can get in touch coming up next. And so this brings us to the end of the 133rd entry into our chronicle. We'll be back with our 134th entry on September 16th. But before we go, we want to know, for you, dear listener, how was the show? Whatever your thoughts or feelings, let us know. You can comment on this show's post on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. You can find us on all good social media at heroesrisednd. You can email us, sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com, or you can chat with us live and join the Heroes Rise community at discord.heroesrisepodcast.com. This show isn't just a one-way conversation, and we always love to hear from you. So take a minute and tell us your thoughts. Make sure you're never caught out in the middle of a quest without us by subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else good podcasts can be found, or through our feeds at feeds.heroesrisepodcast.com. And if you like the sound of what we do, we're always looking for new adventurers to join the party, and all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in our show notes. No matter your passion, scribing, dungeon mastering, or audio alchemy, we're sure to have a spot at our table for you. You can also help support the show by subscribing to our Patreon. Tiers start from just $4 per month and give you raw recordings of the show before the Wednesday release, Heroes Rise t-shirts, pins, a super secret patron lounge on our Discord server, and our second show, Heroes Rise Distant Whispers, a freeform roundtable discussion of the wider topics in D&D. To become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash Heroes Rise D&D. And if a financial donation isn't your thing, that's cool too. Every time you share our show with friends, family, or your friendly local gaming stores, you help our audience grow, and that's ultimately why we do this. Thanks for all your likes, shares, and retweets. We want to take a moment to thank our head scribe, Gath Minvar, our social media mage, Ray Ray, our web wizard, Mark, 
our Dungeon Master and Adventurer's League correspondent Indigo Spectre, our guest host Tony, and our audio alchemists Mikey, Branwyn, and Tomasthenes. Special thanks go to our halfling moneylenders, Marty Chidoric, Jonathan Hickman, The Despoiler, The Hobbyist, Randall Evans, Mark Onsman, Brewhammer, and Amber Squirrel Craning. Vince Fett, for all the awesome music you've heard throughout the show, be sure to check him out at vincefett.bandcamp.com, and Lo of Lowe's Lair, the designer of our banners and avatars. You can find him on Twitter at RealLarryD and Facebook at facebook.com slash Lair. But above all, we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to our tales this evening. And until our paths shall cross again, fare thee well, brave adventurers. of the Frost Maiden. Hang on. <laughs> and more rules references for Explorer Epithian. <laughs> I mean, that's one way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'd have to restart my NPCs and it's too late. It's far yeah. too late. <laughs> Sam and Frank would be mad at me if I, you know, discorporated them and re- reformed them. They would, they would be very upset. As- I was just going to say, Sam and Frank being the NPCs and not your children that you're talking about discorporating. Correct. Yeah. Right. That's illegal okay. in all 50 jurisdictions as far as I'm aware of in the United States. I'm from Britain. Okay. I don't okay. know. Yeah, right. It's different traditions, right? I understand. Saturday also brings us a rotating selection of live games and panels, though this, though at this time the live games have yet to be announced. He says, looking at the page and realizing in the last hour they have actually listed some games. <laughs> Damn it, wizards. I think it's probably just because they haven't been able to get out to things like Gen Con, which they normally would, and... Sorry, there's a car going by. I heard it. Yeah. In fact, I thought it was near me. I mean, the speed he was driving at, he will be soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was never really a fan of the Chewingas before. Like, so, rate them on a scale of one to Kinder. Oh, oh, geez, no, there's no comparison there. Oh. Chewingas are lovely compared to Kinder. <laughs> just, I just... I don't know, there was just something about them that I found annoying. And I can't even really put my finger on it. It's like, I have this thing with pugs, and I realise I'm getting off topic here. But pugs as in the dogs, I don't know what it is about their faces, but I just want to kick them. I cannot help it. It's a compo- <laughs> I've never kicked a pug, by the way. I feel like I should utterly clarify that. But it's just that irrational, like, what are you doing with your face? Ah. So and- I'm gaining a new appreciation for your, your hatred <laughs> of, of the kinder now. You know, I mean, I'm getting a new right. appreciation. So this is like they're okay, but I'd like to kick them in the face. So I'm I'm gaining a new appreciation for what the end of that spectrum looks like now. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's, appreciate that. That's where the kender are. Animals that I'm okay with, I want to kick. So <laughs> if you can... I was that was hard. I had to have a conversation and rewrite this. That was that was difficult. I appreciate everyone's patience. That was that took a while. Would you hurry up? Jeez. Sorry, are you? <laughs> Tasha stole it from Zagig after secretly working with the demon lord. What the hell? Fraz Urblu. <laughs> okay. About a century after the mess with trying to benevolently. <laughs> About a century after the mess with trying. <laughs> Did it again. <laughs> on, one more time. Then put them in command of her son. What is it with these people? 
Jeez, I realise I'm called Lennon, but give your kids normal names. <laughs> then put them in command of her son, Ayus. That just doesn't sound right. No, it's Ayus. It's like that goop that comes out of your eye. You sleep too long. That's, that's what I mean, yeah. yeah. Like. <laughs> then put them in command of her son, Conjunctivitis. Which, um, <laughs> oh, hold on. I need to wake up my dog because she's about to start dreaming. Oh, the snoring and the whining. Yeah, and, and, the, and the barking. Bark. She barks in her sleep. Hold on just a sec. Carrie. I occasionally yeah, bark in my sleep. Is that what that's called? Yeah, I'm, I'm bilingual. <laughs> I thought it was German. Nice. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> that too. Trilingual then. I'm, it's, see, the thing is, it's 10 to 4 in the morning. I don't know if I can do my dog impression <laughs> because it's loud. Right. I, would, so yeah, it's just, I might wake up the house. And don't speak German either because that would cause problems. I would also wake up the house. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Anyway, on to a different subject. Uh-huh. <laughs> or do you think it'll have a right wide? <laughs> I like their reasons for doing the retcon, but I'll be pleasantly supplied. But I'll be pleasant. Ple- ple- blah, 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 blah. Pleasantly surprised. I can do this, <laughs> I promise. You are a professional. Mm, professional what, though? Freelancer? Yeah, you'd think. Yeah, we'll go with that. Bum? A hobo. And so this brings us to the end of the 133rd entry. entry. Oh my gosh, why am I messing up stuff that I've done so many times? Ah. I was going to say, this one you've done at least 40 times now. You should be good. <laughs> it's pronounced Vinsfept. 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 It's because Tony's here. I'm getting all the Jeff vibes. <laughs> You just need your broadcast glasses and everything will be fine. <laughs> and fall asleep about now. That's what happens. Nailed it.